0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm Barry Edwards. And I just got done with an interview that you're going to see now. And I had the best time with Doug Knoll, who is one of the world's most interesting guys. He uh, went from being an extremely successful litigation lawyer to becoming a peacemaker for the past couple of decades. And uh, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or whatever, This is one time I suggest maybe you might want to pop over and just take a look at the YouTube for a bit to see the gleam in this guy's eye. He not only will help us with our interpersonal relationships in this interview, but he exudes what I really wanted 050 to always be. And that is he he went for happiness. You know, he pursued um, all the highest acclaim at the first in the first half of his life, and then uh, had an epiphany and decided to pursue his true passion. And it really, really comes through with him. And so I think we could learn a lot from this podcast on several different levels. And thanks. And I really do hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And here we go. And uh, having a couple laughs here, uh, Doug Knoll. And Doug is a mediator, speaker, and award-winning author of De-Escalate, How to Calm Barry Edwards Down in 90 Seconds or
1: Less. Let me... I got a Nobel Peace Prize for that.
0: (laughs) It's How to Calm an Angry Person Down in uh, 90 Seconds or Less. This is really interesting. I listen to a lot of your podcasts, and uh, I love your backstory. Just want to say... Uh, You were a very successful commercial trial lawyer. I want to talk to you about that right now. For 22 years before transitioning to leadership development, problem-solving, and peacemaking. Co-founder of the award-winning Prison of Peace Project. You heard that right. Prison of Peace Project, in which he teaches murderers in maximum security prisons to be peacemakers and mediators. We got to talk about that, Doug. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you're 22 years as a very successful trial lawyer, as I recall, in California, Southern Correct.
1: California. Yeah. Central yeah. California.
0: Mm-hmm. I, wild ride. How did, why, how, what? Tell OK, me.
1: so the Quick Reader's Digest version. I grew up in Southern California. I was pretty, pretty disabled. Uh, I was born partially blind, crippled, couldn't walk till I was three, bad teeth, bad ears, left-handed. I was a mess, except for my intellect. I was born with a good mind. And even though my childhood was a mess, I grew up in affluence, but even though I had a, grew up in affluence and privilege, my childhood was a mess. And But ultimately, I went back to Dartmouth College, Ivy League, came back to California. When, in those days, in the 70, early 70s, late 70s, mid-70s, like, yeah, it would be mid-70s, uh, if you didn't go to med school, you went to law school out of an Ivy, Ivy League college. Yeah. <laughs> so That's what I did. I came back to California. didn't want to go to LA. I hated LA. didn't want to go to the Bay Area. So I love the mountains. So I moved to Central California. I went to law school in Sacramento, up in the Sacramento Valley, and then moved down here to Central California. I live in the exact center of the state. And right now, I'm uh, 60 miles from Yosemite and 40 miles from Kings Canyon, Sequoia Mm -hmm. National Parks, 10 acres in the mountains. It's beautiful. Anyways, I became a trial lawyer and tried cases for 22 years. In the mid-80s, I took up the martial arts. And when I turned 40 in 1990, uh, I was awarded my second degree black belt, and my teacher said, go learn Tai Chi. You're an asshole, you're mean, you're tough, you can kick ass, you're a trial lawyer. <laughs> if I teach you anymore, you're gonna start hurting people. <laughs> yeah. So he sent me off to Tai Chi, and tai-, tai Chi has two really interesting paradoxes. The first is, the softer you are, the more, no, let's see if I get this right. The softer you are, the stronger you are. The more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Softer be strong, yes. vulnerable to be powerful. Did not get this for a while. Mm-hmm. But eventually I did get it until in 19, I think around 1996, 46 years old, in a courtroom, trying a case, doing my usual thing. And the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? Mm. And after that trial, I had a one of my many, many different Avocations is whitewater. So I was on a whitewater rafting trip with a bunch of friends up on the main salmon in Idaho, and I was, spent a week all by myself in my raft with my, you know, a group of us. and uh, But I had my raft all to myself and thought about how many people I'd really served as a trial lawyer and concluded that I really had not served a lot of people, even though I was very, very successful. So after that trip, I came back and I learned about a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University, and I enrolled. So in 1997, I was a full-time master's degree seven, now I'm 47 years old, full-time master's degree student, 10 units per semester, three-quarters-time law professor at our local law school, and a full-time trial lawyer. And that was the end of my first marriage.
0: <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't I did know that part. I didn't, that's the first time you've divulged that. Yeah, yeah. It, was,
1: it was rough, but it was not because of all of that. It was because I was emotionally immature and uh, had a lot of emotional baggage that I had not really worked through yet. So ultimately though, I graduated, got my degree, had many, many discussions with my partners about, they hated the idea of me becoming a peacemaker. That was really my calling. So one day in uh, November of 2000, less than two weeks after I turned 50, I walked away from $10 million, quit being a trial lawyer, and became a peacemaker.
0: That's amazing, that's amazing.
1: And never looked back.
0: No kidding. And then ten, year,
1: then 10 years later, when I was 60 years old, is when Laurel Coffer and I started the Prison of Peace Project. Wow. Today we're in 15 California prisons, uh, prisons in Connecticut. We have a colleague with 14 prisons in Greece, and we have startups in northern Italy and Nairobi now, and Denmark.
0: <laughs> I want to ask you more about that, some stories. you, I heard you relate a couple of stories that were pretty mind-blowing, in my opinion, about uh, you're talking the most hardened of the hardest people. That's right. Eventually, I want to start there because I want to eventually get back to me <laughs> and uh, my relationship and, and as such, all of us. And then I want to just talk about our society as a whole too, and, and the role that Uh, this peacemaking, these techniques play with that too. But let's, yeah, let's back up here. Let's, uh, how about, how did you get started on this? How did this idea formulate about uh, going to prisons and making peacemakers out of the most difficult people in the world?
1: Well, in August of 2009, my very dear friend, almost my sister, (laughs) Laurel Coffer, called me one day. She's a mediator uh, down in Los Angeles. Uh, and we both teach at Pepperdine Law. And she called me one day in August and said, hey, I got a, you you got a minute? I said, yeah. So she read me a letter that was handwritten from a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole, gonna be in prison the rest of her life, in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which at that time was Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California, about an hour and 15 minutes from where I live. And basically Susan was asking Laurel, if Laurel would be willing to come into the prison and train their network group, which consisted of 150 lifers, um, to be peacemakers and mediators, because the women, knowing they were going to be in that prison for the rest of their lives, were tired of the violence and wanted some way to make create peace in their village, so to speak, because you know the, the institution was not doing what it's supposed to do, and it turned out it it wasn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why it was the most violent prison in the in, in the in the. Women's prison in the world, and we said yes. It took I, I us- want
0: to ask. I'm sorry. I want to interrupt right there because you said something very interesting that I didn't hear you say before. Is you said that these are lifers. You know what I'm thinking? When I thought you're setting the stage for they have no other hope, so they're recklessly violent. And instead, you went to they saw this as this is where I'm at the rest of my life. We got to make it better than what it is.
1: Exactly it, correct. Though. Yeah. Exactly correct. And, and it's interesting, it's not the life inmates in prisons that create the violence. It's the young gangbangers coming off the street who are hot and and emotionally really screwed up and a mess, and they got to feel like they gotta prove themselves. They're the ones that create the violence. And it was the women who, these women who were, well, in our first class of uh, backup, we started in April of, 2010 with 15 women, ages 30, 30 to 65, all different ethnicities, all different educational levels, and we devised a very unique curriculum because we recognized that going into prison, <coughs> we didn't know what our what the basic interpersonal skill levels of our students would be. So we started at the bottom. We assumed they didn't know anything. <laughs> Serving life sentences, probably not. So. So we built, we built up a series of workshops that taught the skills that we thought were essential for peacemaking and mediation. And then when they mastered those skills, then we trained them how to be mediators and peacemakers. And in the first year, our, our, we took them from ground zero to being fully certified mediators and peacemakers in 12 weeks, which was turned out to be exhausting. Now, now we do it in a year. Uh, but the, the, it was overwhelmingly successful. After those first, by five weeks into the program, we had 300 people, three hundred women on our waiting list waiting to be trained and we were saying, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Now this is all pro bono. We're not getting paid a dime for this. No grants, no money, we're paying for everything out of our own pocket, it's our own time. and. And about that time, you're saying, why did I leave that 10 mil on the table?" Actually, no, <laughs> I actually never regretted that. Yes, I don't make nearly as much money today as I used to, but my life is so much more fulfilling. Okay. And, and then, even though it was exhausting, and we were basically burning our professional practices as, as mediators and arbitrators, this was so satisfying and so powerful that, as I tell people, once you start doing this work, you cannot, you cannot not do it. It's just compelling. So, and the hours are long and they're long drives and they're miserable working conditions and horrible places to work. You know, this is not a corporate conference center with with everything catered. This is a maximum security prison, not designed for teaching, designed for constraining people's behaviors. And it turned out to be incredibly successful. And, you know, story after story after story that has come out of the project. And these women responded and so by 2013, we, now we've been in there for three years, the, the program was uh, operating pretty much on its own when the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation decided to turn it into a men's prison. So the women got shipped out to other prisons. We said we'd follow them. And ultimately, although we said no many times, we finally had to say yes. And we went back into the prison. It was now called Valley State Prison. And it was a men's prison. And we started Prison of Peace with the men for the first time. Mm. And three years later it was self sustaining. We had trained over a thousand men in that prison. <laughs> and finally the department recognized our work and started giving us some grants to spread the project throughout the state. What kind and, of
0: stat I'm sorry, what kind of stats did you have in there three years with the men? I thought the men would be so much more difficult and yet
1: It's oh. just the opposite. I know this is gonna sound very misogynist and sexist, but they were actually easier to teach than the women and there's there are reasons for that it's not because it's not because they were men and the women were women it's because of the way that inmates are classified and uh put into different prisons with the women because there are only two and a half women's prisons in the state and the women only make up less than two percent of the total population in california you know a serial killer can be housed with a somebody who stole a twinkies and got nailed for five five you know, three strikes. So so there is no homogeneity in the women's prisons. And mental illness, education, type of crime, propensity for violence, they're all mixed up. In the men's prisons, it's much, each prison is much more homogeneous, And so the type of men that we were dealing with in, at Valley State Prison, was a, w- they were all pretty much the same. And so it was mu- they were much easier to teach. And the other thing that happens is the men tend to self-regulate their communities a lot better than the women do. And so they're they're much more they set they self organize their communities a lot better, and the women aren't so good at that, just because again because of the lack of homogeneity. So the women the men turned out to be a lot easier, <laughs> as it turns and it turned out to be that turned out to be true no matter what level we were in uh, Valley State or yeah Valley State Prison was a level two, which is a relatively low level security. But a couple of years later I was in Corcoran which is a level four plus it was one of the supermaxes in California. Working with gangbangers who were, the first time I met them, we were in shackles and cages. Here I'm sitting in this little dungeon, 12 cages in a semicircle around me, and they're all in there with shackles, taking notes and learning from me. Oh, yeah, 100 wow. feet from Charles Manson's cell. Really? I was in the belly of the beast for three years there.
0: Now, see, no matter what you say about the men being easier, maybe you can call it, say it's misogynistic. I absolutely don't believe that because we all know men are naturally, on average, just a lot more aggressive. It's our nature. So that's why, to me, it's completely counterintuitive.
1: Here's what's really strange. This is something that people are going to have a hard time learning or understanding. I've worked with the worst of the worst. And what I learned was that, one, they came from horrible childhoods. Murderers are not born. They're bred. So they were conditioned into violence. Violence was the only form of conflict resolution they knew, and they hated it. Every single one of them hated it. And when we showed them how you can resolve conflict and make peace without violence, using all these different skills, we taught them over 250 different skills over the course of our curriculum, they took to it like ducks to water. They became absolute addicts. And completely changed. And it to this effect, of those original 15 women, all but, to my knowledge, three have been released. And of the 20,000 inmates we've trained or our trainers have trained in prison and peace in California since 2010, 8,000 have been released on parole. Not one report of recidivism. Oh None God. of our God. students have reoffended to that, our knowledge.
0: That's astounding. That's absolutely astounding. So you've only been doing this for 13, 12
1: years? 13, 13 years.
0: I know that you, as you mentioned, you're probably in about 20 different locations across the world now. Correct? Something well, like- we
1: have colleagues every colleagues who picked this up, and you know our our next project is going to be in Denmark. Interestingly enough. We're going to go worldwide this year. We, we, when the pandemic hit in California, all in-person programming shut down for good. We, we quit in early March. And then two weeks later, the, the state said no more programming for obvious reasons. So then the state called us and said, well, you got to spend all your money by June. Well, we had like half a million, three-quarters of a million dollar in grant money, and there's no way we can go into prison. So what are we going to do? Well, Laurel and I had had this dream of filming our entire curriculum. So we hired a film, Hollywood film crew and we did a high-end hollywood production and we we filmed our entire curriculum using people who had, we had trained as inmates incarcerated people who are now released on parole they were our best trainers and we hired them to help us do the training on, on when we as we filmed the curriculum it's, the, it's really really powerful it's in post production right now. I'm writing all the manuals. And so but we're almost done with the manual writing. That's been a pain in the ass. And then by the end of the by by the end of the summer the prisoner priest curriculum will be available to anybody in the world because we can subtitle everything in any language and we and it's available anywhere in the world for anybody who wants to do this work. Really powerful. Okay.
0: That's amazing. So are you going to put some clips on YouTube, stuff like that? Yeah, we actually
1: we have, a, we have a really beautiful 12-minute video on YouTube right now called uh, Pop P.O.P. Mediators Speak. And if you just Google that, it'll come up, and it's a 12-and-a-half-minute video. And those are the first women that we trained in that video. The first two groups of women we trained at Valley State Prison for Women. It is really, really powerful to watch that video. Pop? I still play. <laughs> and we made that video in 2012, I think. Pop, uh,
0: mediator
1: Pop P. O. P. Mediators Speak.
0: Okay, cool. I, I'm going to look that up when we get off of here. That sounds terrific. And I'll put the link in the show notes, along yes. with your book, and I'll, I'll put all your links in the show well, notes. Actually, right. yeah, I've got a, i
1: have got I build an, a page for your audience. It's called uh, dougknoll.co slash start over. Starting Ooh. over. Let me double check that I've got it right here. Since I just did it this morning. Yeah, Whoops. Pl-
0: yeah please repeat that.
1: Yeah, where, the link. I'm going to put it in the chat for you too. Okay. Yeah, dougknoll.co starting over.
0: Okay. Cool. Appreciate that. Um, to okay, so to take this a little further, first of all, Tai Chi, isn't that what Steven Seagal does? I don't know if he does
1: t- Tai Chi or not. Obviously he's a martial artist. I don't know what his primary art is, what he learned. Yeah. Um, but Tai Chi is the oldest of all martial arts. It's also one of the most vicious martial arts. Most isn't people Isn't that the one that's all like all handwork and flowing stuff? Flowing stuff like this, yeah. Oh, let me tell you, yeah. if you study it as a martial artist and not as a contemplative yoga type exercise, it is deadly,
0: hmm.
1: deadly. And that, I, I didn't realize that at first. I thought Tai Chi, yeah, yeah, this is what old people do in the park, right? Right. that up yeah. at 41 years old. And, and um, I was completely wrong. <laughs> is <laughs> it, it is up- absolutely deadly.
0: Does it have a lot in common with Judo? No, I, I wrestled all through junior high and high school. Right. So. so if you take
1: Judo or Jiu Jitsu or any of those grappling arts,
0: I meant Jiu Jitsu. Right, right.
1: Yeah. You take these grappling arts and, and the, or Aikido, the same idea. Basically, what you're learning to do is to use the leverage and energy of your opponent against the opponent and not to use your own energy. Tai Chi is very similar. Mm-hmm. Tai Chi is the idea is you're going to be deflecting and moving and you're, mov- you're working with Chi or energy. And you're, you, you never use your own energy. You're always using your opponent's energy. And whatever they do, you're just moving and flowing with, with – you flow with their energy and then redirect them to wherever you want them to go or wherever you want them to do.
0: Which is completely the opposite of what you were doing prior where you were a bull in a china shop.
1: That's right. And that's why the paradoxes were so hard for me to understand.
0: Correct. And I see the point of uh, something like uh, the weaker you are, the more powerful you are. Uh... softer. You're never weak. OK,
1: you're soft and vulnerable to be strong and powerful
0: because of leverage, correct?
1: Leverage and flow.
0: OK, leverage and flow. OK, got this in the chat. Copy. OK. And OK, so how about if we start making this segue, because I, what I, I wanted to set the groundwork of how powerful this is. And I'm really not even done with the prison stuff yet, because I. I, <laughs> we, I could,
1: uh, we could talk about it for hours, really. <laughs> I
0: know. It's fascinating because, OK, on the one hand, the amount of accomplishment that you've done in 13 years, you, you almost subtract two of them because of COVID. We all lost those years out of our lives. Right. Uh, you made a tremendous amount of progress in that time. But on the other hand, that's not very much time. That's that goes by quick. What I want to ask you is we got a movement here going on across America, the the debate, the the conflict about uh, DAs letting prisoners out of prison too early, not setting bail high enough and all that. And as I'm listening to different podcasts that you're on and you're talking about it, I'm starting to get an understanding of where they're coming from mentally is they're like they they have potential these are good people that have potential that need another chance that are being treated unfairly by the system, but that's only half of it. The other half is what you've been bringing to the table is the training to give them what they've been truly hungering for and missing. So put these two together, we might be really onto something. So my question is, are you starting to get the feeling that this is going to really blow up in the, and I mean, in a positive way,
1: we don't know. Okay. We don't you know. Here's the here, we, we we face a lot of headwinds, not uh, a lot of headwinds in the United States. And the headwinds we face is that, um, first of all, the science shows that for every dollar put into rehabilitation in our prison system, the the, the state saves a thousand dollars. Rehabilitation is the only way out of the prison industrial complex. Yeah. But that is the problem, because you've got. In California, you've got the CCPOA, the California Correctional Peace Officers Association, which is the largest, most powerful public union in California who resists any rehabilitation, resists any effort to reduce prison populations because it costs them jobs.
0: It's a business, yeah.
1: It's a business. And on top of that, you've got politicians who feel that the only way they can get elected is by scaring the crap out of the electorate, saying, I'm tough on crime. Mm. I mean... Where I live in Central California is very interesting. Uh, this is the birth of Three Strikes,
0: mm.
1: Mike Reynolds, and it's also the it's the birthplace of the international restorative justice movement, which is a way of dealing with crime that is very, completely different than the retributive system. Very paradoxical. So we've got, and then we've got an elect. We've got the voters, who the the, the likelihood of somebody getting. Being a victim of a crime is less than getting struck by lightning in many places in the country There's some places that are more violent than others But even living in a say a a violent like Chicago is going through a lot of violence right now But even living in Chicago, they're only it's a bounded area where all the violence is if you live outside of that Bounded area in the more in the more middle-class affluent parts of Chicago the likelihood of you getting mugged or is is Like really small, but the media here's the third problem the media because it wants to get eyes on the news, right? Not eyes on pages, will over inflate, over exaggerate, amplify crime to make it look like it's everywhere. And so between the political forces looking to tribalize and scare people, the public unions wanting to protect their jobs, and the media looking for sensationalism to over amplify what is true, we get this we get this tough on crime stuff. But he, but when I talk to my friends, especially my conservative friends, I say, do you realize that in California, we spend more money on our prison system than we spend on our entire community college, state university, and university system combined?
0: Now, you say, you say that, right? They're not telling you that.
1: No, I'm telling them. And they say, what? Yeah, I say, yeah. Did you know that it costs $250,000 a year to house an inmate in a California prison? If yeah. you take the number of inmates divided by the total budget, it comes out to $250,000 per inmate or something like that. Very, very high. We can send kids to Harvard for what it costs us to put somebody in prison.
0: Now, see, that's what I can see as the antidote. Like, as you said, I, I am a big... And I don't want to say advocate. I I'd speak a lot about the corruption of our government. It's systemic. It goes right into the media, right through every corporation. Healthcare, pharmaceutical is in the fossil fuel industries. They're all in bed together. It's awful. But if you have some politicians speaking eloquently about how they can reduce your taxes. By everything you're just saying right there the extreme burden that the prison system has and rehabilit there's a lot of people that i think would like to say we have an astounding rehabilitation record here are a few stats and we can in turn reduce the tax burden on uh on our taxpayers by x amount i think people would eat that up
1: right but they, but you're never going to hear politicians talking about it because they can't get elected on peace Media does not talk about peace. Peace is boring. Yeah, peace, yeah. Is, <laughs> peace is unsexy. conflict is sexy. conflict gets people excited. Yeah. you know if, if, I'll just give you an example in the early days of the Ukrainian conflict, the war, um, you know there were, there were peace talks attempted peace talks between the Ukrainians and the Russians. You would you would see the media cover it in peace talks between Ukraine and Russia fail, and, and then the, today the you know in somewhere, Poland or wherever, they met, one, two sentences on what they were meeting about, and then the rest of it was, and in the meantime, all these bombings and shellings and everything else goes on. So they immediately, and the picture of tanks and blown up buildings and okay. dead bodies on the ground, nothing about this is the process that was that they devised and here's who's mediating it and here's how it's working and this is what's going on it's all boring people don't hear about that stuff
0: you're right it's all about clicks these days and it's highly competitive and we are geared biologically I know you know this that we want safety that's our top number one priority so what do you seek out well where's the danger because I want to
1: know what to right and I will I will I will make irrational choices for safety over my pocketbook. Yes, very true.
0: All right, we got to get to the nitty gritty on this stuff. Inter- interpersonal relationships, even after 50, many of us struggle with conflict in our relationships. That's right. Yeah. And I'm just, I got to tell you right away, you kind of alluded to this, made me think early on, made me think about it right away. My girlfriend and I, my partner of uh, 13 years, we, uh, we have a very good relationship, but it's been a, a, a long, hard road. We both come from families where anger was by far the prevalent emotion. My father only knew how to express himself in anger. Right. And is a typical 70s kind of household. I, mean, I hate to say that for all of you that had these Norman Rockwell families. God bless you.
1: Nobody didn't. <laughs> that's all bullshit that's why his pa- Norman Rockwell paintings were so popular is because they painted a myth that did not exist mm. Ninety ninety eight 98 percent of all families are emotionally dysfunctional Jesus. and they produce emotionally dysfunctional adults period end of story
0: there we go all right so talk to me um <laughs> all right now I want to say something that's going to lay some groundwork for you because I heard you in a podcast or story- YouTube video talk about these interpersonal relationships and it hit me as like whoa wait a minute we've done couples counseling quite a bit really and uh, where we learned that um, that you, uh, you you don't say don't say you because you're it's accusatory don't say you do this you do that and uh, and now what you preach exactly the opposite
1: that is that is so wrong
0: please tell me what please
1: <laughs> it's based on the work of uh, carl rogers and thomas gordon and to the degree that gordon and rogers said don't blame by using you they are correct if you have your own emotional experience you use an i statement but the science shows that if you wanna deescalate somebody and calm them down, you've gotta use a use statement. You have to speak from the speaker's frame. You have to listen and reflect from the speaker's frame of reference. So I would say something like, Barry, man, you're really pissed off. You're angry, you're frustrated. You feel disrespected, nobody's listening to you. You don't feel heard, you feel ignored. And you're really sad, you feel betrayed. And you're all alone, and nobody gets you. And it just really really makes you anxious and concerns you so no you're proving you're proving empathy that's empathy it's called cognitive empathy using a, a skill called ethic labeling and they all get it wrong and it's still taught today my my niece just got was a, just what became became got her doctorate aside in psychology and she was taught the same crap absolute same crap i can't believe it and where i teach the the people that teach mediation there are teaching these I statements total bullshit, and there's zero science to support it, zero. And not only that, it it, it doesn't work. It's invalidating. It causes more harm than than than, than it helps.
0: It I really just, gets me going. I, and I want to keep you getting <laughs> going because I need to unlearn some of this because I got to tell you it was, it's very unnatural for me because what they say to do when you're talking about I this I that <sighs> Talk about your Terrible. feelings. I feel. That's, well, that's
1: okay. It's okay for you to say, look, I'm really angry and pissed off. So, the, the proper way to frame a problem in a relationship if, if, is to say, look, I really get, I feel really disrespected and annoyed and angry when, you, when, when I come in and I see socks on the floor that haven't been picked up because I feel like my time and effort is being disrespected and I feel like I'm not being loved and cared for. That is okay. In fact, that is not only okay, that is the right way to do it. Now, the other person might say something like, uh, well, I didn't think that leaving socks on the floor is such a big deal. I mean, why are you making such a big deal out of Mount Navajo hill And then your response would be, because that's an invalidating statement, you would say, "So, so you're feeling really anxious and a little bit disrespected that you can't do what you want to do, and you're upset over the fact that You just want to live the life that you want to lead without, without any interference from anybody else. And all your life, people have always told you what to do, and no one's ever respected you, and you've always felt left alone, and without love, and you really want to be loved, and the other person will start to cry.
0: Oh my God! Going on. My my girlfriend is one hundred percent Sicilian. And so that said a lot right there, didn't
1: it? That's right. That's a culture. Tone means everything. Tone Um, tone is more advanced, but yes, it's important. mm -hmm. Uh, But the most important thing is to reflect back the speaker's emotions using a use statement that is the most, that is it, it, it there's brain scanning studies that show why this works the way that it does and when people come at me with non communication or active listening I say, where's your science
0: yeah i'll
1: show you mine if you show me yours That's and the sad. fact of the matter is there is no science to support that stuff and there's absolute neuroscience to support what i talk about and what i teach which is why i teach it hey if that stuff worked i wouldn't be here talking to you about this we'd be using that old 1950s crap and We'd all be happy, but it doesn't work. It never has, never will, can't, won't, doesn't. What
0: do, you, what do you think about that? I don't know the terminology about when to validate. This might be part of your gig, actually. But again, in couples therapy, we were taught, okay, to prove that you're listening, active listening, repeat what you think that you just heard from them.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I, I am so sorry you got such bad advice.
0: <laughs> I thought it was too at the time. Let me it's tell you. horrible
1: tell you. advice. So- There are four levels of reflective listening. Mirroring, paraphrasing, core messaging, and affect labeling, all right? What you were taught was a very rudimentary, primitive form of paraphrasing. Paraphrasing means that all you're gonna do is repeat back the words. You're gonna summarize what another person's words are yourself, and paraphrasing has its place. But if you really wanna validate somebody, you've gotta reflect back to them at the emotional level where you completely ignore the words has nothing to do with the words, and all you do is reflect back emotions, feelings. And when you do that, what brain scanning studies show is that the emotional centers of the brain are inhibited at the same time the ventral lateral prefrontal cortex is activated, and people can start thinking again. And they literally calm down in less than 90 seconds.
0: Do you think literally. of an example to illustrate that a little better?
1: You, I, yeah. Uh, tell me a quick story about an issue you had with your girlfriend
0: oh boy you just put me on the spot there okay yeah i got there goes charlie um yeah so last night she got really mad about something i don't know what. apparently i woke
1: her up so you were really first of all you were taken aback that she was really angry all of a sudden she exploded That surprised you and it caused you you got you felt really anxious yeah and you were really confused and you were upset because you love her and you hate to see her upset. And the fact that you might have been the cause of that upset caused you a little bit of shame and humiliation, even though you were confused and didn't know exactly what happened. And no matter what you did, you felt lost because she couldn't seem to quiet down. And that was really frustrating and upsetting to you.
0: Anx- anxious was a good word for that.
1: Anx- you felt really anxious about it.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And that was really oh. good. That was a good All right, thing.
1: now stop. Now, what did you just experience when I did that with you?
0: um a bit of relief
1: uh-huh exactly
0: yeah, it was like catharsis like you would just pull right.
1: out of me that's right i yeah. didn't pull anything out of you all i did was label your emotional experience to allow your brain to process the experience that you had i'm lending you my prefrontal cortex for the 30 or 40 seconds it takes for your brain to process your own emotional experience
0: that's very interesting yeah okay so when When I'm on my own and that situation repeats itself, what am I supposed to do?
1: So ignore the words. Take a moment and allow yourself to process the emotions that your girlfriend is feeling and then reflect back her emotions with a simple you statement. Oh, you are. And you're going to start off with angry, typically a Sicilian, anger, anger. You're really upset. You're really angry. You're pissed off. You don't feel listened to you feel disrespected, you don't feel appreciated or supported. And then you might go to, you feel really sad and you don't feel loved. You feel abandoned. You feel you feel completely unlovable. And the whole thing is just really upsetting to you. If you just said that, just, how long did that take? 20 seconds? That'll yeah, calmer. I was you.
0: wondering if I'd still be alive by 10 seconds into
1: that though. You would be. Yeah. Because our brain, we crave emotional validation that's the one thing that we want more than anything else is to is to be understood by somebody else at a very deep level
0: i could back that up irrefutably because of how many times i know that i sucked at it throughout my life invalidating so did i <laughs> yeah.
1: and i i learned this i mean i developed this skill because I didn't have anything else. As a peacemaker, I was walking into these intense conflicts, getting paid big bucks to get things calmed down and solve problems, and I had no tools. And I tried all that active listening crap and (laughs) nonviolent communication, all that BS. And I took every listening course that I could find. And none of it worked, none of it worked. And I had to devise my own tools. And then several years later, Lieberman came out with these brain scanning studies out of UCLA that just completely changed everything. So this, I've got, I've got skills that science supports.
0: Okay, how about let's take that throughout the family a little bit. What if you have that? Um, I, I have friends like this. And this is not my situation, but um, that has the overbearing mother and uh, that is hard to, mm, hard to deal with. Very stubborn uh even to the point of her safety's that were at risk because she's frail and yet very she's very very emotionally triggered and right they have a hard time dealing with so
1: here is what's going on um she is not emotionally safe she has never experienced emotional safety she she and so the only way that she can protect herself from being feeling vulnerable and and unsafe is by biting back hard
0: Okay, we got cut off there for a minute. But I was talking about my friend's uh, mother who's very right. cantankerous. And you were saying that she's never felt valid, emotionally safe.
1: Correct. Yeah, that's Ever. Ever. So, the way you deal with her is you've got to create emotional safety for her. And this will be very frightening for her in the beginning because because it's going to be like a little mouse sticking her nose out of the hole, looking around, where's that cat? And the way you create emotional safety is by being non-reactive around her and simply labeling back her emotions very gently. Oh mom, you're really pissed off. You're really angry. Stop. Yeah. I'm really angry. (laughs) Really frustrated. Yeah. Or she'll say, no, I'm not angry. (laughs) Yeah. That's more like it. Okay. Well, of course she's angry, but she can't accept her own emotions because to accept her own emotions, means for her, she has to be vulnerable. And she doesn't get the Tai Chi paradox. To be powerful, you have to be vulnerable. So uh, so it, it, and so this is a reconditioning process that will, can take some time. And you know, I, frankly, I did it with my mother. I mean, unfortunately, I kind of think she's in her last days, last weeks. We don't know, we won't know. But I mean, she's not, she went on a big slide. She's 95 years old. Mm-hmm. But for the last 15 years, I've had a, a relationship with her that I did not have before that. Because I've been able to use these skills and create you know emotional safety for her. It's very paradoxical because as a child I want emotional safety from my mother. But as an adult peacemaker, yeah. I recognize that I'm never gonna get that from her. If I want if I want safety for myself, I have to create my own emotional safety. But what the gift that I can give her is to create emotional safety for her so that whenever she's around me or my wife no matter what she's always safe and we always create a place for her where she can say whatever she wants to say she can behave in any way she wants to behave and she's always kind kind but she can be a little critical she has been critical in the past and that's all gone away mm. and uh at least with us and so that's the secret but you have to be in a place where number one you want to do that for your mother and two, you have the patience to do it, and three, you've de- developed the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. So it takes three things to.
0: Now, it. I want to get to something. It's related to that. It's basically this is a technique I heard from you on a couple of podcasts, YouTube videos, that anybody that's difficult. This is the technique that you use it. with anybody that's difficult. It could be the mother situation that we we're just talking about, and that is uh, not listen to the the
1: words. The- Ignore the words. Yeah, yeah. We're we're totally focused on words because that's what we were taught as children. But if you're going to be really sophisticated at this and you really want to calm people down, the words mean nothing. So the very first thing you have to learn how to do is take those angry words and turn them into white noise. You don't, uh, whatever you're saying, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. And that gives you the freedom to focus on what emotions are you experiencing right now. And emotions come in six layers. So one of the things that I teach is that in order to understand people's emotions, it's unstructured data. Emotions are unstructured data for most people because they've never been trained in how to structure emotional data and look at it and process it. And our brains do not do well with unstructured data. We can't process unstructured data. So here's the structure. Think of a, a six layer cake, anger, disrespect, fear, shame, humiliation, embarrassment and guilt, sadness and grief, abandonment and unloved.
0: Is that in order?
1: No, well, it goes from the, mo- it's not, it's in order. I pick those because those the, the top ones are the most common. It's an mm-hmm. order of common, what you see the most. And you start at whatever layer is presenting. So for an angry person, you would start at the top with anger, but that's not the main emotion. The main emotion is gonna be in one of those layers underneath, probably at the bottom, feeling abandoned, betrayed and unloved.
0: That's (laughs) why I asked if that was the order. Yeah. And I know that shame.
1: Yeah, you start with what presents and then you you just start going, digging and digging and digging. I see. Reflecting. And so that's your structure. That's how you know where you are and you move from layer to layer. You You might go from anger or upset or annoyance or frustration down to anxiety. And then you might bounce up to disrespect and you might bounce down to feeling a little humiliated or embarrassed. You might bounce back up to anger and then you might bounce back down all the way to the bottom, feeling abandoned, betrayed and unloved. You just go wherever they go. And the more you help this person process their emotional experience unconsciously, the deeper you go and the faster they calm down.
0: Not only that, I think, you know, I'm putting myself in, my in my in your shoes as you talk about that i think you build trust if you start to identify and this is so important you know you're defensive if you don't have emotional trust that you go oh you know what i've had girlfriends use say this uh to me over the years all the time is if i tell you that you'll one day you'll use it against me right no trust there
1: no trust so what this does I call this listening another person into existence. Listening another person into existence. And what this does is it builds instant trust, instant intimacy, instant closeness. Because when you listen another person into existence by validating their emotions in the moment, they feel for the first time in their lives like they have been deeply heard and you get them. And you get them in a very, very deep way. Extremely powerful. And if this is, it's so powerful, it's a foundational skill that I think every person needs to master. And it's just as applicable in our business and professional lives as it is in our personal lives. And this is the first skill we teach our inmates, our incarcerated students. And when they learn this skill and master it, they completely change. They go from being hard cases to normal human beings. It takes about six weeks. And they go through this transformation and they're completely changed and it happens every single time there isn't one student that i've ever had that didn't go through the transformation
0: i think i understand something here about um when you have to be vulnerable in order to be strong
1: this is vulnerable, when you soft to be strong uh huh yeah this is you know. when, it, there it uh, is It's coming together
0: because like you talked about first, don't listen to the words that you're going to, you know, listen that if you do, you're going to hear some triggering things and all that. Well, this is where you open up your heart. You take a
1: few shots.
0: You do. I mean, you you don't.
1: If you ignore the words, you're not going to get triggered. And the moment that you drop into really focusing on somebody else's emotional experience, you, you put a bubble around yourself that protects you from being upset. And you see, and that's where, and then out of that emerges compassion. And you're no longer worried about your own ego being hurt. Now you hold compassion for them. Oh, you're really emotional, you're really upset. Let me me help reflect and help you process this. I mean, this is what you're saying to yourself. And now all of a sudden, because you've taken the courage to not worry about yourself, but to think about the other person's emotions and reflect them, now you are vulnerable and powerful. Mm, I I totally soft and strong and it works every single time without fail. otherwise we couldn't use it in the prisons
0: and again I'll say I think it's because you build trust you build emotional trust
1: that that flows from you're right but it flows from the process Mm. it flows from the process
0: a couple weeks ago I did an interview like this with Dr. Stephen Treziak uh, author of uh, Wonder Drug and before that Compassionomics and it's all about Everything he's done is science based on compassion and its ability to uh, kill burnout, uh, to build your relationships. But the amount of dopamine and serotonin and all that that you get from everything you're talking about right there, being compassionate with somebody that's super close to you, first and foremost, is the biggest one. Like you, it just triggers all the good stuff.
1: And here's, here's, what, here's what makes me different from all these other guys. Everybody else will tell you what to do. They'll tell you, well, you have to be compassionate. Oh, you have to, be, you have to show empathy. Oh, you have to be emotionally intelligent. Easier. So. They're giving you the what's but not the how's. Yeah, yeah. And what I teach is the how. This is how you do it. And when you do this, all these things flow yeah. from the activity of actually listening to and reflecting back somebody's emotions. And you have to overcome a lot of cultural hurdles, because we are not, we are taught that emotions are bad, they're vulnerable, they're weak, they're irrational. This whole myth of rationality, you know, is totally wrong. We've been taught this for 4,000 years, so it's very difficult to discard what seems to be conventional wisdom when when it's actually false and there's no science to support it. And what the truth is, we're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. So we have to overcome that, that baggage, and that that that's, why I coach and teach this is because people need the coaching and the support for the first couple of weeks to overcome the fear of and the awkwardness of telling somebody how they feel because it's very it feels very unnatural until you get it and then you'll never go back because it's, it's, well, of course, is the only way you can be.
0: Well, you, again, we're talking about with you, with, as soon as you start practicing this and you start getting this incredible feedback for the first time, you're right. getting your own dopamine hits. That's,
1: that's right. It's, it, that's why it's so self-affirming. And you, you need the help of a coach for the first couple of weeks to help you overcome the fear of looking like an idiot, of being patronizing, and being rude, of being vulnerable and afraid that you're going to get attacked. You need some help with that. You need support then once you get past that first two or three weeks, then it's a self-affirming practice and you just get stronger and stronger at it.
0: Okay, so I want to take this to this level. It gets harder for you now. <laughs> and I have an ultimate level if we can get to it that I, I think I'll stump you completely. Okay, on this one, this is the social media level and I call that online road rage. All right, people have been learn, learning to behave so badly. That's right. Advent that on social media, people my age that I've known for years are acting like ill-behaved children, very insulting.
1: Yeah. They're acting like 6-year-olds.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: Um, there's no consequence. You can do when it, you can do whatever you want without consequence. You do not have to take personal responsibility for your behavior on social media.
0: But you would think that we would be so conditioned by now. Oh.
1: No, no, no. Remember, 98% of all families are emotionally dysfunctional. The, the, the implication there, the unstated truth, is that most people stop emotionally maturing at six years old, six to eight years old. And we grow into these physical adult bodies. We come up with coping me- mechanisms to make it look like we're really cool and we're all put together. But in fact, we are emotional six-year-olds. And when, when, the, when, the, when the veneer is stripped away, we go back to being six years old. Wow. <laughs> And that's what you're seeing on social media. Now, here's a really cool thing. I have a pretty big social media platform. I'm on a lot of platforms, but I get snarky comments. Not so much now, but you, all you do is all you do is label their emotions. So somebody comes in and says this is all, this is just a big pile of horseshit or something like that, right? Or some really snarky mean comment. I said, oh, you're really angry. I write this out, I comment. You're frustrated, you're angry, you feel disrespected, you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel heard, you're really worried and concerned, and you're sad, and you feel completely unloved. I will actually type that out in the comment. They go away forever.
0: Oh, my God, really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I will try that. I
0: will try that, but it I, I don't.
1: I'm well texting, too, so if something texts you a snarky message, just reflect back what their emotions are in the moment. You yeah. are whatever.
0: They feels respected and angry. That's really you're good advice because these are such low levels of communication when you can't look somebody in the eye you can't see their emotion you can't hear the inflection. Yeah. you can't you, hear the inflection of their voice though you, getting, you can't you, that's right you're missing a lot of data yes but you can infer
1: a lot of data that's the problem because we always run with the worst well but if you go with the word the written word mm. in order for somebody to convey an emotion in writing they have to they have to Frey use certain phrases and certain words that that are emotional in nature Mm. so they're making a snarky disrespectful insulting comment they have to be insulting and snarky and disrespectful and use language at that way so in this case you're not ignoring the words you're ignoring the content of the words and reflecting on the emotions behind the words
0: okay totally get that now what if you're dealing this is real life stuff here dealing with a client via email that Mm. I don't know that well, but I'm getting all the snark out of that. And, you know, they're my customer. So I have to be very, but, you know, it's just oozing through the verbiage of the email. Right. How do you, how do I, and I, I don't tell them, oh, you're feeling, you're feeling ashamed. You're feeling guilt. You must've had a shitty childhood. <laughs>
1: well, no, you have to use discernment when you do this. Yeah. And you only go as deep as is appropriate for the context, yeah. relationship and situation. And there are some situations where you won't go deep at all. You'll go, only go two layers, three layers, three layers, maybe. Um, you know, I don't get phone calls at all except when I'm on podcasts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's
1: okay. It uh, makes
0: you look really important. Yeah. You know, was-
1: so so, so you, only go, you only go, you do the anger, disrespect and fear and that's it. You don't go any deeper. And in an email, you can still respond back. If somebody sends you an upsetting email, you say, oh, Charles, you're upset and angry and feel frustrated because you don't feel heard. And that's all you do. And then you say, you know, let's arrange for a Zoom call to talk about that.
0: Zoom has been wonderful for
1: businesses. That's right. It really is.
0: It's a much better form of communication.
1: I agree. And, and the beauty about Zoom is it's much easier to read emotions over Zoom than it is in person.
0: Yeah, that's a point. Yeah, look, somebody. The point in is the is
1: we're not distracted by everything going on around us. Yeah. All we can do is just focus on what this person is feeling and experiencing.
0: All right. You ready to get stumped?
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> I always like to get stumped. It's a All learning right. experience.
0: All right. So because Everything that you've taught I've heard you talk about has been really, really good spot on stuff, but it's interpersonal. With me, I battled anger my whole life on a personal level because of what I mirrored from my father. I see I witnessed my father for obviously as long as I could remember being pissed off at the universe for making things go badly. And so I've learned it's a victim mentality right there. Sure it is. Yeah. So I've, I've, been kind of, I've been conditioned to that as well. And it's like, I try to overcompensate. I know that you're Murphy's Law. I know that you're going to try to make this go wrong. And, you know, God damn it, you just did it. And, uh, okay, you, uh,
1: you're going to deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's what I want you to do. Yeah. Every time you feel that anger come up, doesn't matter how often it is. All I want you to do is acknowledge your anger. I am really angry. Yeah. Then I want you to go into the layers. All right, what else am I feeling besides angry? I feel disrespected. I feel cheated. I feel, like, I feel like somebody is taking something away from me that I deserve and that really pisses me off. And I'm a little anxious and worried and I'm a little sad because I don't like being angry and I'm missing something. And really, in this moment, this anger, I don't feel loved, I feel abandoned, and I don't even feel like I'm worthy of love from other people. Just I ha- say that to yourself every single time you feel angry.
0: I have to say that I'm embarrassed by it, if that's the right word, I don't like it.
1: I. Yes. It's, it's a- let me explain why. Of course you know, it, it's awkward, and it's very uncomfortable. You've been taught that emotions are bad. You've been taught that to feel anything, is to make you weak especially as a man you've been taught that you've got to be a rugged individualist that you've got to be stoic that you've got to push through this bullshit and just stuff it down because that's what it means to be tough and resilient and and that's all wrong oh i believe (laughs) that all it does is create more pain and more agony be courageous enough and vulnerable enough to acknowledge, you don't have to say this to anybody else other than yourself, and you can even you can even write it down on a piece of paper and then throw the paper away if you need to, but acknowledge your own emotional experience as deeply as you can every time you feel that anger come up. And don't, don't leave it alone, it's just the anger. Oh, I'm really pissed off right now. Okay, I really, I'm really pissed off, and I know there's six other emotions underneath that. What are they? And you structure the data. You go through the disrespect emotions, and then you go through the fear emotions, and then you go through the shame, humiliation, embarrassment, and grief, and sadness, and abandonment. You go through them all, and just, just by rote, just go through them, and and some will click. Oh, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling unappreciated. I'm feeling unsupported. I feel cheated. I feel betrayed. Oh, that's it. Oh, I get it. And all of a sudden, the anger goes away.
0: Okay, I'm definitely going to try that. I mean, and, I'm and, really and, and
1: overcome it. overcome your fear. And the, the awkwardness and the fear that you have, and here's, here's the, one of the things, again, why, why I have to coach people through this, is because we've been taught that emotions are so evil. And so we have suppressed all of these negative emotions inside ourselves as adults for years, and years, and years, and years, and we've got this cauldron of painful, uncomfortable emotions that are inside us that we've never processed before. And we have a fear that we dive into that cesspool will never come out. Or we will lose what it is that we value the most, our resilience and strength. Yeah. And toughness. And the fact of the matter is that the resilience and toughness that you experience now is like a very thin sheet of plaster with no backing on it. It'll shatter in a heartbeat. Mm. When you get in and dive into that emotional pool and start acknowledging all of your emotions, you gain a strength that goes beyond steel. Again, the Tai Chi paradox. Soft oh vulnerable to be powerful and you but you have to experience it in order to learn it
0: that wasn't lost on me
1: you have to experience it and that means you have to have courage yeah i had to go through this i mean i was just like you just like you i had all this anger from from being so disabled and nobody caring for me and nobody figuring out how to help me and i had to learn everything on my own and it was physically painful and emotionally painful and incredibly frustrating imagine being Five years old and barely being able to run and keeping up with all your friends, you know, and not be blind, trying out for little league baseball, couldn't see the baseball because I didn't I didn't have glasses until finally the fourth grade. They finally figured out that my vision was twenty (laughs) four hundred. You know, I don't know what they're feeling in school, (laughs) you know, I mean. So
0: to this, well, you probably had surgery on your eyes. Oh,
1: yeah. I, I, I got these big, thick glasses. That was, a, of course, a buzzkill for the girls, too. Yeah. Um, I was nerdy long before <laughs> nerdiness was cool. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately, yeah, I, I, I started, finally got some con, you know, later in life contact lenses. But then we started getting, you know, you get this thing called a corneal intrusion, lack of oxygen to the eye. So that, I couldn't wear contacts anymore. But that was when our case surgery came in. They did our case. I mean, it was like overnight miracle I went to perfect vision really and then and then then laser came in and we had to do corrections 15 years later and then and then a couple of years ago I got cataract surgery I had early onset onset cataracts and my ophthalmologist said let's just get rid of those things you're young you're healthy this is the time to do it they'll never bother you again and (laughs) it's not a great story
0: (laughs) hey I gotta ask you something on a personal level when I just looking you up and stuff your wife does energy work right She, she does that's very interesting. I mean, I don't know. I, you set the stage for yourself as being this macho tough guy
1: and all of that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I, I'm an energy practitioner, too. I'm a certified pranic healer, arhatic yoga. Practiced arhatic yoga for a long time. Um, so, yeah. And, the, and the practice, everything I'm talking about has a very deep spiritual component to it that I don't talk about much, but it's there. Yes. And I'm That's married awesome. to, a, to an enlightened being.
0: That's really interesting. How long have you been married?
1: Uh, 15 years nice
0: congratulations oh that sounds amazing and well yeah. you sound okay so you you didn't get married at 40 when you're being kicked out of uh martial arts because you're too I, aggressive i got and...
1: married i got married three years i got my first marriage i got was at 37 i got married at 37 that marriage lasted 17 years and then oh, okay. and then that fell apart for a lot of different reasons partly because mm-hmm. i was still immature but then i was going through this major growth spurt I had a lot of problems. Still had a lot of problems. I mean, remember fifty? It was fifty when I really started to grow up. I was I, born, I was born at fifty, and
0: I, I totally relate, man. Fifty-six yeah. now, and uh, yeah,
1: changes. Everything changes for uh, the better. For the better.
0: You gotta make the effort though, too. You know.
1: Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to go back to being twenty-two years old. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Honestly, no. and I'm taking care of my. I'm seventy-one now, but you know, I've got the body of a fifty-five-year-old.
0: Yeah, you look amazing. Yeah. Look really amazing, so, so you just take care of yourself,
1: and it all flows
0: and that's what this podcast is about. It's about getting a little bit better professionally and personally uh right. every day, just a little bit better. Right. so I really appreciate it. uh you certainly helped me, and maybe uh through that you helped a couple of
1: listeners out there. oh well, good be with. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. I, too, so. too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I wouldn't uh, mind doing it again. Come on with another book anytime.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know I've written four I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But, a... Yeah. <laughs> but, I would like to do it again. I could talk to you forever. Absolutely. Anytime you want to right. reach out and we'll talk again.
0: All right. And guys, all kinds of links for Doug will be in the show notes. So I thank you. And please go to over 50 startingovercom sign up and subscribe to YouTube or whatever. But at over 50 startingovercom if you sign up, you'll get all this to your email box. As it happens, you won't miss anything. All right, Doug. Thanks a bunch. You have a great day. You're welcome,
1: Barry. Thank you. All right, bye.